Too many of you are going to leave unarmed and unaware. Unless you rehearse every day your marching orders. What are they? Certainly, I do not worship idols. Do I? Welcome to Air Jared. This second part of Dealing with My Daily Idolatry is produced by Global Radio Ministries. This series on Colossians is written and taught by Dr. James M.C.C. Teaching in this second part of Dealing with My Daily Idolatry. Dr. C.C. exposes the reality that Apostle Paul discusses in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Colossians 3 verse 5. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. These things that amount to idolatry in our daily lives are the idolatry of immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. With part two of dealing with my daily idolatry is Dr. Sisi. Now go back to chapter 3, verse 5. Because in order to bring greater clarity to what he just said, Paul uses another word. He's calling us to put to death the idolatry of impurity. And he uses the word ekakathesia, and it's the alpha primitive there, the ah with the word karthesia in front of it. Catharsis we get. Having a hard time pronouncing that today. All right. Catharsia, but it means to be pure, and then you take the alpha primitive there and you put it in front, it means it negates it. It means it's unclean, it's impure. And when it's put together in any Greek text, alongside the word porneia, it then signifies the thought life of the impure action. The thought side of it. Because it is understood by anybody with their eyes open that sexual sin begins in the mind. You know that as well as I. There was a Sunday school teacher that got fired from her position because she announced that she was going to bring a sex organ to church next week. The next week she brought a brain and a bottle of formaldehyde. She was right on. That's where sexual sin begins. Right there in the brain. Jesus even said that in Matthew 15, verse 19, out of the heart, out of the mind, out of the place where we make our decisions come evil thoughts and fornications and adulteries. But here's the problem today. I travel around to a lot of Christian universities and Christian colleges and I speak to a lot of students and I have to tell you, I'm so saddened by some of the attitudes they have. I cannot tell you how many times students have come up to me and said, well, it's okay to look, just not touch. You know, I can think about it as long as I don't do anything wrong. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 28, Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already in her heart. And whereas men get seduced by the lust of the eyes, women get seduced by the lust of the ears. So ladies, this is not just for the men in this room. And if you're listening by another means, it's not just for the men. It's for all of us. The Bible is clear that even the impure thoughts are inconsistent with our call. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, Paul says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, Akatharsia, impure thoughts, but in sanctification, in set-apartness, in personal holiness. In essence, he's reminding us to rehearse our calling daily. 
That every day of our lives we should get up and say, I am called to a life of purity in thought as well as deed. Can you say that with me today? I am called to a life of purity in thought as well as deed. How's your thought life today? What are you putting in your mind today? What are you reading, ladies? What are you listening to? You think that some of this social networking is safe? There's a whole bunch of trash that comes that way, too. And it's just as problematic as your guy watching pornographic images on a screen. It's just as heinous. What are you putting in your mind? What are you building into your fantasy life? As the saying goes, you sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. In other words, the Apostle Paul, you reap what you want, what you sow. In computer terms, garbage in, garbage out. In the terms of agriculture, if you plant carrot seeds, what do you expect? But carrots. Plant seeds of immorality in your brain. Don't be surprised at immorality's behaviors. Don't be fooled into thinking it'll stop with thoughts. And Paul goes on to number three. To consider ourselves dead also to the idolatry of passion. And this time he uses the word pathos there. And in the King James, he find it as inordinate affection, a misplaced feeling, a lust, an evil passion. Nothing wrong with passion. Even Jesus had this same passion, but the object of the passion was God. I want you to be passionately in love with your wife. I want you to have that passion for the Word of Nothing wrong with the right epithemia. There's nothing wrong with the pathos that you need to have. It's just the object. And that's why he points it out as evil passion, misplaced affection, uncontrolled desire, a degrading and a lustful passion. And if you read Romans chapter 1 and 1 Thessalonians 4, he says it is typical of those who don't know God. And thus, it is practical atheism for us. Oh, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we don't get to make the excuses the world does. I can't help myself. I can't control my feelings. Listen, we've been raised with Christ. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. That means we can think on that which is pure and lovely and right and of good repute. Philippians 4.8. We can. We may not. We may choose not to. But we can. We can control our thoughts. We don't have to be enslaved to them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul said, we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I don't need to be a slave to my thought life. If I am, it's my choice. I don't have to be. Paul then goes on and talks about being dead to the sin that shows up as the idolatry of evil desire. And this time he even expands it. He uses two words now, epithemia and kakin, and it means evil lust, wicked cravings. Uh, the King James calls it evil concupiscence. I really like that. In fact, he uses the same phrase, or really the same word in Romans 6.12 when he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts, its evil desires. Romans 13.14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its Lusts, it's evil desires. Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit, you'll not carry out the desires, the evil desire of the flesh. And then, of course, in 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, flee from youthful lusts, 
Run from the evil desires. Just get out of there. Don't sit there and play with it. Run. If you're on a diet, you don't go to Winchell's Donut Shop and pray over the glaze supreme. Get out of there. Run. Even the Apostle Peter gets in a word or two about this when he says in 1 Peter 1.14, As beloved children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, the evil desires, which were yours in your ignorance. Used to be ignorant, not anymore. First Timothy, oh sorry, First Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. How many of you admit it is a war? Oh, parents, grandparents, do you understand the war your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids are going to be in? You think the world's going to get better? I can't even imagine what my great-grandkids are going to face. And whereas the world says, if it feels good, do it. You only go once in life. You've got to grab all the gusto. You can. God says, no, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. To immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. And then he adds a fifth, the idolatry of greed. And he uses a fascinating word here. The word pleonexia, uh, the, the word uh, pleon means uh, to, um, to, to, to want more. And the word echo enforces that. I want it. I got to have it. Uh, and it gets translated as covetousness or greed. But the idea of it from the, from the way you trace the word is that it means never being satisfied. It means taking advantage of anyone for your own pleasure. It means being ruthless in your assumption that everything exists for your happiness. But let me tell you something, folks. Paul here is not talking about the greed for more material things. That's not the word here. That's not what he's using here. He's not talking about coveting riches or others' possessions. In this context, he's talking about sexual coveting, of seeing people as sexual objects and and taking advantage of anything that brings you pleasure. This sexual greed, certainly based in the basic desire uh, and sinful desire for greed, but, but that desire to have more than you have, to want what you cannot have, whether it's someone's wife or future wife, or someone's husband or future husband. Now you go back to the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, restated in Deuteronomy 5, and watch the close relationship between coveting and adultery, on how closely related idolatry, coveting, and sexual greed are. Four of the Ten Commandments deal with this. Do you remember them? Number one, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Idolatry. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. That is why in the Bible you'll find the word adultery and the word idolatry inextricably interchanged. It's the same thing. The same idea. And then you go to the New Testament, go to the companion epistle, for example, the Colossians. When Paul was in prison writing Colossians, he also wrote Ephesians. And watch how he makes them link together. Ephesians 4.19, that he speaks of those who have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of what? Impurity with greediness. Or Ephesians 5, verse 3, Do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you. Or Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, No immoral or impure person or covetous, greedy man, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. 
And then Peter himself in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, describes the false teachers saying that they have eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed. In fact, and I agree, some commentators suggest that that's the core sin of this text, the root sin of Paul's list here, from which all other immoral sins spring, because it involves wanting that which God has not given us, and what is not rightfully ours. Single people, God designed you for now for singleness, which means chastity, which means purity. But there will be a time and a place when God brings a spouse into your life when your sexual relationship can be expanded. And it's an incredibly beautiful thing, and God designed it for that. But you don't get what God hasn't given you now. It's as simple as that. Married people, the same. Wanting that which God has not given us or what is not rightfully ours. And that's the core of so many other sins. The greed, the coveting, the wanting what God doesn't want us to have. Which results in greedy immorality, greedy impurity, greedy passion, greedy evil desire. And I think that's why Paul singles this out here. Because he's talking about idolatry. Apparently a major issue in the first century church, but I think his presupposition is that if you can deal with somebody on the idolatry of immorality, you can cover any other area as well. And I found that to be true. I've gone to countries where I've been able to deal with the taboo subject of sexual immorality, especially among those who are involved in missions and ministry. And once you get to them at that core, I cannot tell you how open they'll be to the other parts of their life. And that's true for most of us. You'll let me talk about perhaps your anger or your fear or your loneliness or your jealousy or even your sense of rejection. Boy, you'll, you'll let me talk about that. But I'll bet you you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable that I'm talking about your sexuality. But I want to tell you, if I can get to that core of a person, that's what Paul's saying, then we can deal with the idolatry of materialism, the idolatry of anger and fear, the idolatry of jealousy and selfish ambition. So let the Spirit of God speak. Now go back to Colossians 3, verses 6 and 7, and look at the reasons, the motivations for living a holy life. You guys with me? Colossians 3, 6 and 7, it says, If it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Fundamental question, why? Why would he have us deal immediately with the idolatry of immorality? Why? Two reasons. One, because of the wrath of God in the future. See, we Christians don't talk about that because we all believe in, you know, we're the rapture. We're going to believe that we're not, we're, we're not a part of the judgment of God and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Praise God. We're, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So we don't think about the judgment on the world. But look what Paul does. Verse 6. For it's because of these things. What things? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Wow. I mean, Paul wants us to know once again how much God hates sin. We forget that sometimes. We're so bathed in the goodness and the grace of God and the mercy of God. We're so enamored, aren't we, by the fact that God loved us before the foundation of the world He called us that we forget that it was our sin that put God's holy wrath on His beloved Son. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. 
we have turned every one to his own way. But the Lord God laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've forgotten it. We've forgotten it. God hated our sin then and he hates it now. In fact, God hates it enough to send his son a second time. Oh, not as the Prince of Peace, not as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This time as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who will come to judge sin. Who's not going to come to judge us. In fact, we'll be with him. You read Revelation chapter 19. But here in chapter 3 verse 6, Paul's calling it the wrath of God which is coming. We can't stop it from coming. It's coming. But we better stop excusing our idolatry as a bad case of the normals or no big deal because we're born again. We've been raised with Christ who died for us so that we might be forgiven. We have been forgiven. We will be delivered from the wrath of God coming upon the sons of disobedience. Write down 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10 and also chapter 5 verse 9. But Paul's plea is that we would above all people hate the idolatry as much as God does. We don't hate it enough, do we? We don't weep and mourn over our sin. We make all kinds of excuses. Because maybe we're not as bad as they are out there. And that brings us to our second reason as to why Paul calls us to deal with the idolatry of immorality in our lives today. Not only because of the wrath of God in the future, but because of the grace of God in the past. Verse 7. In them you also once walked when you were living in them. Oh, listen, by God's grace, folks, we're no longer what we used to be. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6.11 reminds us of such were some of us. We were just like them, weren't we? But we've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Anybody want to say praise the Lord? I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but I know that some of you were enslaved to immorality, to impurity, to passion, to evil desire, and even sexual greed. It used to be our lifestyle. We were enslaved to that stuff, but God changed our lives. We're no longer enslaved. Still tempted, might even still struggle, but no longer enslaved. And that's Paul's promise in Romans 6.19. But just as you presented in the past your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Oh, we may sin. We may slip. But we don't have to. Romans 6, 1 and 2, What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? But because of what God did in the past, we have everything we need to not continue in that kind of idolatry today. And that's what Peter was trying to get across when he said in 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. What is it saying? I can win this battle. So can you. With the idolatry. We can live a life that reflects God's glory and His excellence. And there is hope, even in the midst of all the temptation, and there are many. And I know you know it, and I know it too. And by the way, if you think the temptation is harder today, let me remind you that the Apostle Paul had to walk on the Appian Way from Naples to Rome, where there were naked prostitutes chained to beds on the side of the road, inviting Paul to come and worship with them. Don't think for a minute they didn't have temptation like you have temptation. Don't think for a minute. 
when you walked into the homes of cities like Pompeii and you'd see pornography in the living room, pornography in the kitchen, some of the most heinous pornography that you would ever see, even in today's world, right there in the kitchen wall. Don't tell me he didn't understand when he said in 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Let me tell you what Paul would say if he were alive today. It's the same thing he said to the believers in the first century, and that is that this is a winnable war. Amen? It's a winnable war. Just stay in the war. Well, let me wrap it up with a couple of words. This November the 17th, I will celebrate my 21st, or really my 41st anniversary of becoming a Christian. I was 21 years old. You can do the math. But very early in my Christian life, I was encouraged by my pastor to read a book entitled The Existence and Attributes of God. What I marveled at is that he was 23 or 24 years old when he wrote this book. And this 17th century Puritan, Stephen Charnock, who wrote not just a theological treatise, but it was a book that drove me to my knees. And Charnock was absolutely correct when he said these simple words, all sin is founded in secret atheism. Oh, how right he is that when you and I as believers allow sin in our lives, it's simply an act that says, I know who God is, but I also know who's on the throne today, and it's me. Oh, Jesus is Lord, theologically. Practically, I'm in charge. Oh, I know what Romans 1 says about worshiping the creature rather than the Creator, but today I choose to worship me. I'm in charge. I want to tell you what it is. It is not theism. It's meism. It's idolatry with a capital I. It's me on the throne. And then I remember A.W. Tozer's classic work, The Knowledge of the Holy. Another book that broadened my understanding of the majesty of God gave me a clear understanding of how idolatrous we can be even as Christians. And the first time I read what Tozer wrote, I was brought to tears. He said this, the essence of idolatry is the entertaining of any thought about God that is unworthy of Him. Oh, it cut me to the heart. I can still remember today the first time I read that. Listen, if Charnock and Tozier are right, and I believe they are, then just like you, I have to admit that I'm a daily idolater. Now, i got to tell you, it doesn't mean that I wear a t-shirt telling everybody I love it. Frankly, I hate the idolatry in my life. I hope you hate the idolatry in your life, but we're all idolatrous. Oh, maybe it's not for you sexual sin. That's that's fine. But let me tell you something. Paul's not done. Paul's not done. In fact, he's going to go on in the next verses to talk about putting aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. Anybody ever engaged in that? Raise your hand. Then you better show up next week. And if you don't, I'll come looking for you. Because it's just as much idolatry. All I've been trying to do is to encourage you to be honest. To become more effective as disciples of Christ. To make it a daily practice to expose the daily idolatry in our lives. To be honest about the inconsistencies of our practical atheism. And you know what? To admit it, to confess it, to turn from it. Let me say it more simply. Topple the idols. And then consider them as dead. I'm going to open these doors in a few minutes after we sing.
And that's when you're going to enter the battle zone. How are you going to prepare? Too many of you are going to leave unarmed and unaware. Unless you rehearse every day your marching orders. What are they? Let me give you your marching orders. Are you ready? It's Colossians chapter 3, 1 to 7. It's why I chose to memorize it. If then you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things on the earth because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life shall appear, you will appear with Him in glory. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come on the sons of disobedience. And in them you once walked when you were living them. But now you also put them all aside. But I know you're not going to memorize that. In fact, that's a long bit of word to even try to remember. So let me summarize it in the words of the Apostle Paul that you can take with you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14, when he said, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Everybody, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Let me hear you. And let that ring in your hearts when your phone rings, when your TV is on, when your Internet is open. And when you face realities of the battle ahead, you are the beloved of God. Therefore, run from the forms of idolatry and watch God use your life mightily. Amen? It's my prayer that God will use this message for His glory. Father, thank You for this time. And I pray that You would just bring to remembrance throughout this week the challenges of living this side of heaven but all the resources that we have in Christ. We have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. Oh, Father, thank You. There is no temptation as such as is common to all men, that You, Lord God, the faithful one, have not provided the way of escape, that we might endure it and be faithful to the end. In Jesus' name. God's people said, Oh, there's more of God's people than that in here. God's people said, Amen. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10.14 All sin is founded in secret atheism. A quote from Stephen Charnock. The existence and attributes of God. The essence of idolatry is the entertaining of any thought about God that is unworthy of Him. A. W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy Martin Luther believed that all sin is rooted in idolatry. Explain how sexual sin and greed can be considered forms of idolatry. Other than a spouse, is there anyone who holds you accountable on a regular basis? What measures can you put in place to keep yourself accountable in the area of sexual purity?
Please come back next time as Pastor Cece will begin a lesson entitled, Our Spiritual Wardrobe.